This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. It's off to the far north we go for another adventure with Sergeant Preston of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And, of course, the main star of the program, his dog, Yukon King. Now, according to radio historian Jim Harmon, Preston first joined the Royal Canadian Mounted Police to capture his father's killer. And when he was successful, he was promoted to sergeant. During the course of the series, Preston successfully puts down a rebellion and captures assassins. Each episode has him battling a new crisis, whether it's tracking down a murderer, a gang of thieves, or claim-jumping miners. Preston's sidekick and ally, and arguably the true star of the show, was the brave Alaskan husky Yukon King. The dog had a keen instinct for sensing criminals and was equally valuable dealing with wild animals once saving a small child from a wolverine. In the radio version... King's barks were usually provided by animal imitators, usually sound effects artist Dewey Cole and later actor Ted Johnston. Tonight's program is entitled Adventure in Selkirk. Now, as gunshots echo across the windswept, snow-covered reaches of the wild northwest, Quaker-puffed wheat and Quaker-puffed rice, the breakfast cereal shot from guns, present the challenge of the Yukon. It's Yukon King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the Northwest, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. On King, on you huskies! Gold, gold discovered in the Yukon, a stampede to the Klondike in the wild race for riches. Back to the days of the gold rush. With Quaker Puff Wheat, and Quaker Puff Rice, bringing you the adventures of Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog, Yukon King, as they meet the challenge of the Yukon. They're going over like a house of fire. Yes, collecting official challenge of the Yukon dog picture cards is the big thing these days. But here's a warning. Don't be left out. Today's the last day we can tell you about the great new offer made by Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice. Listen for full details in just a few minutes. Summer had come to the Yukon, and most of the men who had gone to that vast territory to make their fortune in gold were busy working their claims 
or conducting various types of business in order to profit as much as possible before the long winter months returned. But the two men who rode the trail from Elk Creek to Selkirk had other ideas about how to gain some of the riches of the Northwest country. Prospectors have been going to the bank in Selkirk during the last month with their take, Bill. It'd be a good time to strike. Yeah, I know. We gotta be sure we'll succeed. First, we gotta check on the fact that the constable is away from town like we heard he was. <laughs> you heard right, Bill. Fact is, I sent an Eskimo to tell the constable there was trouble at Fort River. Since he's the only Mountie in Selkirk right now, he went up there yesterday. Yeah, that was smart of you, Joe. Uh, when do we pull the bank robbery? We'll soon be there, and it's already afternoon. We go into the bank about supper time when there aren't so many people in there. And we'll be far away before that Mountie the constable gets back. So let's hurry a bit. Get up! Get up! Get up! It was supper time in Selkirk, and there were only a couple of prospectors in the bank when the two crooks, Joe and Bill, reined up outside. Oh! 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 All right, Bill. This is it. What can I do for you, mister? Reach. This is a holdup. All right. Get your hands up. Move back there. I got the others covered. Come out from behind that counter and line up with the others. Hurry up. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Get back. Watch him, Bill. I'll go back at the counter and put those sacks of gold in this carpet bag. Hurry up, Joe. All right. All right. Move back. Get your hands up. Don't try anything. All right. All right, I got the goal. Let's get out of here. What's going on here? You can't do this. Get out of my way, you. Let's go, Bill. Come on. I'm ready. That evening, Sergeant Preston with the great dog King arrived in Selkirk and went to the cafe in search of the constable. Hold there. Hold on. Easy. One King. Hi there, Sergeant. Hello, Ned. You seen anything of Constable Kinsey? Oh, he's out of town. Just when he's needed, too. Needed? What do you mean? We had a bank hold up here in town. Happened about summertime. They got away with several thousand dollars in gold. I see. Well, maybe you could do something about it. I'll do what I can, Ned. Thanks for the information. Let's go, King. Easy, fella. Steady now. Get up there. Leaving the cafe, Sergeant Preston rode to the bank to get further information about the holdup. After getting a description of the crooks, Joe and Bill, from the banker and the bank teller, Preston learned that the holdup men had worn handkerchiefs over the lower part of their faces. The Mountie knew it would be difficult to pick up their trail since so many had gone in and out of the bank. I'm glad you came to town, Sergeant. I've heard great things about you and that dog of yours. Thanks. It gives me hope that those crooks will be caught. I understand your dog is wonderful at following the trail of criminals. King does his best, don't you, fellow? <laughs> but uh, until King knows the scent of the man he's trailing, he can't very well follow it. So many people have come in and out of here since that holdup, it's impossible to pick up the scent. Then there's no way King can get after them? If he were given the scent from something one of the crooks wore or held in his hand... Then King could follow it even through the crowded street. Well, then this bandana ought to help. Huh? It was found just outside the front door after they left. 
I'm sure one of them dropped it, Sergeant. Now we have something. I'll take that. It'll give King the scent of the man who dropped it. Come along, King. Good luck, Sergeant. Once outside the bank, Preston held the bandana out to King. The intelligent dog sniffed for a moment. And then Preston spoke. Find him, King. Find him, Father. King stood for a moment, and then he started along the main street until he came to a space between two buildings into which he turned. Then he stopped and sniffed the air. Oh, they mounted horses here. I can see the hoof marks. Come along, King. I'll get my horse, and we'll come back here and go on from this point. A short time later, Sergeant Preston mounted his horse, and he and King returned to the place where the crooks had mounted. Steady. Easy now. Once more, the Mountie held out the bandana for King to catch the scent. And then he spoke. All right, fella. Find him. Find him, King. Get up there. Meantime, the crooks, Joe and Bill, had ridden many miles from Selkirk to a settlement called Bear Creek. They stopped a short time for food and rest. Then they continued on a short distance until they reached a branch trail. Joe called a halt. Ho, 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 What are we stopping for, Joe? See that branch trail, Bill? Sure. But we better push on toward Whitehorse. If the constable gets back and should happen to get on our trail somehow... I don't think he can pick up our trail. But if he does, he'll naturally think we're heading for Whitehorse. That's why I want to take this branch trail. Well, where does it lead? Goes over to Mile Creek. From there, we can double back to Selkirk. Back to Selkirk? Are you crazy? <laughs> no. No, just smart, Bill. Think a minute. Well, I am thinking, but I, I still don't get it. Look, Selkirk is the last place they think of looking for us. We already covered our trail by riding in the shallow creek back a ways. Even bloodhounds couldn't follow our trail after that. Say, maybe it is a good idea to go back to Selkirk at that. Sure it is. The town's crowded and fairly big. We can put up at some place along the waterfront till I get the boat from Dawson City. And we'll get on it and leave. Now, let's get going. Get up! Get up! A few hours later, Sergeant Preston and King reached the branch in the trail beyond Bear Creek. Their progress had been slowed somewhat when they had reached the place where the crooks had taken to the shallow creek to cover their trail. But to an intelligent, well-trained dog, it made little difference, since the man's scent hung in the air, gradually settling on the foliage along the creek bank as it drifted in the slight breeze. When they reached the branch trail, King stopped a moment, sniffing the air. Sergeant Preston reined to a halt. Hold there. Oh no. The way you're acting, King... Looks as though they've turned off on the branch trail. In that case, I'd say they were heading back to Selkirk. All right, King, go on, boy. Up there. Arriving in Selkirk again, Bill and Joe rode along the waterfront until they came to a cheap hotel. They left their horses in the stable back of the building, then went inside and spoke to the clerk, who knew them by sight. Hi, Bill. Haven't seen you and Joe around in the past 24 hours. We've been on a little trip, Dave. Uh, tell me, do you happen to know if the constable got back to town? Oh, yeah, yeah, he got in this morning. He, uh, come here asking questions because of that bank robbery. Yeah, but I didn't know anything to tell him. Every time anything happens in this town, he comes here first, so I'm used to it. He didn't say anything about us, did you? You know, I didn't. I protect our customers. Oh, your, your same room is waiting for you. Oh, thanks, Dave. Come on, Joe. Hey, wait a minute. 
Yeah? Maybe uh, it'd interest you to know another Monty came to town last night. Hmm? Sergeant Preston with that dog of his. Sergeant Preston? I thought he was in Dawson City. All I know is he come here last night and he and his dog took out after those bank robbers. Thought you might like to know. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Let's go to our room, Bill. Joe, I don't like what I heard about Preston at all. Ah, stop being nervous. But I heard about that big dog of his and how he can follow a trail. I forget we were smart enough to break our trail by riding in that creek. Anyhow, how's Preston or that dog going to know which trail to follow? Lots of people walked in and out of that bank and rode their horses away from Selkirk, too. Just the same. I don't think he'd have left town if he didn't think he had something to go on. Well, worrying about it won't do any good. I think we ought to find someone leaving here with a boat today instead of waiting for the river packet. Yeah, we could do that. Look, there's a barge belonging to the Yukon Mining Company that docked here with mining equipment last week. I noticed yesterday he was about ready to leave. I met the skipper. I know we could arrange to go with him. Then let's go talk to him now. We can go out the back way so Dave won't know we left the hotel. Come on. A short time later, after leaving the waterfront hotel by the back way, Joe and Bill went to the dock where the barge was moored. Let's go aboard. Hello there, Joe. You come to see me off? I'm not exactly, Skipper. Coming to make a deal with you about going along. Well, we're moving out at noon. The tug's already got up steam. Can you be ready to leave then? We're ready right now. How much for both of us? <laughs> well, since I suspect you're running out on the law and I'm taking a chance, it'll, it'll be $100 easy. All right, we'll pay it. And gold. Yeah. Let's go to your cabin now. Give it to you. <laughs> we're running out on the law, right? Like you said, Skipper. And believe me, that Mountie and his dog will have a tough time trailing us from now on. We'll continue our story in just a moment. Fellas and girls, we're sure you will agree with Sergeant Preston when he says... I feel that every boy and girl should love and understand dogs. And you should recognize and know the different kinds of breeds. Dogs are truly man's best friend. So, fellas and girls, listen carefully. Today is the very last time we can tell you how to take advantage of the wonderful new offer made by the swell-tasting breakfast cereal shot from guns. Simply go to your grocer, ask for Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. Inside each package, you get two different Challenge of the Yukon Dog picture cards. That's two trading cards, each different in each package. And they're yours at no extra cost. These cards are made specially for you. They're like regular trading cards, stiff back, and have the same shiny, glossy finish as game cards. They come only with wheat or rice shot from guns. And these cards feature actual full-color Kodachrome photographs of real dogs, many champions of their breed. These cards are brand new, different, true to life. There are 35 different ones in all. Think of all the different kinds of dogs you can collect. Imagine owning a collection that includes the world's biggest dog. The world's smallest dog. The world's fastest dog. And best of all, there's Sergeant Preston's wonder dog, Yukon King. 
Yes, you can get an exciting trading card of King, the real King himself. On the back of each card, Sergeant Preston gives you a description of the dog. These cards give you valuable information about which dogs learn tricks easily or are good watchdogs. Just remember, you must hurry. Grocer's supply of these dog picture trading cards is limited. Don't wait. Today, ask for Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice. You'll find not one, but two cards, each different, inside each package. They're yours at no extra cost. And they come only with Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. Get both delicious kinds. You'll get four cards right off. Start a swapping club. Save, trade, collect these dog picture cards. Start today. Now to continue our story. Hearing that Sergeant Preston and King had left Selkirk the night before to trail them, the two crooks, Joe and Bill, who had doubled back to Selkirk, made arrangements with the skipper of a barge to sail with him. It was almost noon when Sergeant Preston and King arrived at the waterfront hotel and entered. Well, hi, Sergeant. Looking for somebody? Yes, I am. Two men, one tall, black hair, and the other heavyset and redheaded. Uh, sorry, don't have anybody here that answers that description. Sure then? Positive. Uh, what do you want them for? Robbing the bank yesterday. <laughs> Seems to me you're wasting your time hunting for them bank robbers here in town. I'd say they lit out for someplace far from here. I have reason to believe they're here in town, and what's more, here in this hotel. Oh, I don't know what gave you that idea. My dog went down that corridor. What is it, King? Now, wait a minute, Sergeant. I told you there's no man like those here. Oh, so you trailed into this room, eh, fellow? I can't let you disturb the guests in that room. Stand that... back and keep quiet. You've said too much already. All right in there. Open up in the name of the Queen. I guess maybe they're out. You want to know if they're out? Try the door. Wait, King. I have a gun. Come out quietly or I'll come in for you. Yeah. You don't seem to be in there. I'll find out. Come on, King. You're right. They aren't here. Closet's empty. They came here today and then moved out. Moved out? Why, the dirty cheats, they owe me two weeks' rental. Oh? But I, I I didn't see them leave. I've been on duty out front ever since they come in this morning. And the men I want were here, eh? Lied to me, didn't you? Well, I... I, I honest, Sergeant, it was only because I didn't want trouble in the hotel, you Shut see. up. I ought to run you in for trying to obstruct the law. Find them, King. Find them, fella. King's turning to the back door. So that's how they went out. I hope you catch him so I can get my money. I'll catch him sooner or later. You'll have to put in a claim for your money. All right, fella. I'll come open that back door for you. Running to the front of the hotel, Sergeant Preston mounted his horse and followed King, who was going toward the docks. Ready, fella. Easy. Get up there. Great dog King unerringly headed for the dock where the barge had been moored. As he approached, Preston heard the whistle of the tugboat that was pulling the barge away from the dock. As Preston ran toward the edge of the dock, he realized that the barge was out of hailing distance and headed upriver toward Dawson City. He stood for a moment watching. I know, fellow. I'm sure they're on that barge. We'll get them yet. Come along, King. Steady. 
Hey, hold on. Easy. Get up there. A few minutes later, Sergeant Preston and King stopped in front of the constable's office. Oh, there. On, King. come to town we're trying to trail that bank robber we were trailing them jack i know where they are right now where they're on the barge that just left the dock and is headed up river pulled by a tug are you sure i'm positive king trailed them back here to selkirk and by the time he followed the trail to the dock the barge is well out in the river what are you going to do telegraph to dawson city we'll do that yes just in case but i think they're too smart to go to dawson city they'll disembark before they reach there i'll uh Get your horse ready while I send a telegram and meet me and we'll ride up river after that barge. I may need your help. All right. Be ready. It'll leave in ten minutes. Good. One king. After sending the telegram to Northwest Mounted Police Headquarters in Dawson City, Sergeant Preston and King joined the constable. And then they started along the river trail. Since those crooks don't realize we know they're on that barge, they won't expect us to ride along the river after them. That's right. Otherwise, they might try to outsmart us by getting ashore on the other side or something like that. Surprising to me how you and King have managed to trail him like you have. Credit for that goes to King. I won't be satisfied until we take those men into custody. I feel the same way about that. What worries me is that when we catch up to that barge, how are we going to go aboard if they don't make a stop? Well, think about that when the time comes, Jack. We'll find a way to get aboard, don't worry. Only stop before Dawson's at Indian Creek. Might be that the men we're after will leave the barge at that place. We'll catch up to the barge before it reaches Indian Creek. The tugboat that's towing it's fairly slow. They haven't had much of a head start. That's true. What's King getting excited about, I wonder? I guess he's sighted the barge. Yes, there it is, just ahead. Let's hurry and get alongside it. Get up there! Get up there! Get Meantime, in the skipper's crude cabin aboard the barge, Joe and Bill sat talking to the skipper and his wife, Mamie. Well, I guess we're well on our way, eh, skipper? Yep, we put in at Indian Creek this evening. That's uh, where you can get off if you want to. You said you didn't want to go to Dawson City. That's right. We waited Indian Creek for the river packer. What are you two men been up to, anyhow? I don't like for my husband to get mixed up in anything that might get us into trouble, Bill. Oh, never mind, Mamie. I'm the one that makes the arrangements about who rides on this barge, not you. Maybe so, but you better watch who you do take aboard. <laughs> Someday you might find yourself sitting in jail ashore. Ah, <laughs> oh, Mamie, there's nothing for you to worry about. We just want to get away from someone who's got it in for us, that's all. When we get to Indian Creek, you'll be rid of us. Well, it's all right with me. Well, I'm going to go on deck and get me some fresh air. Since we started coming here to the Yukon, that husband of mine's met up with a lot of men that don't do it. Uh, any go good. on deck and let us be. They paid us in gold for this trip, didn't they? We sure did. Uh, Two hundred in gold. In gold, eh? Huh. Where did two fellas like you get that much gold? I bet you never worked a claim in your life. Now, look, Mamie, beat it like the skipper says. I don't aim to sit here and be insulted. Ha! Take more than that to insult you. <laughs> well, I'll leave you right now. As Mamie stepped on the deck of the barge, she walked to the rail and looked at the near shore casually. Then, hearing a dog bark, she focused her eyes on the shore trail. <laughs> Looks like a big wolf running along the shore trail. Be sure a bold one to come. Seems to be two horsemen following behind him. Wait, they're mounted. I can see the red coat. Well, they must be trailing somebody. Hey, Skipper! 
Want to get a look at a couple of mounties? Uh, mounties? They're right in the trail, right opposite the barge on the near shore. A couple of mounties, you say? Holy mackerel, Joe. Somehow they get wise we're on this barge. I knew you two been up to something. Keep your mouth shut, lady. This is my business. Hey, Mamie's right. There they are. Sergeant Preston, there's that big dog of his. We'll be able to stop it if you quick now. You gotta figure some way to get off the barge. Are you crazy? How are we going to get off without a boat? Yeah, you can go over the side, the offside, so they won't see you. Swim for it. <laughs> this gun says that's what you're going to do. Like Mamie says, we don't want trouble with the law. Now, look, put up that gun. I can't swim for one thing. And for another, I don't intend to. Oh, Wait, oh. on, Bill. You uh, shot my husband. Help! Help! Shut up, you. Oh. We're running this barge now. Get back into that cabin. Those Mounties got another think coming if they think they'll get us. Meantime, on the shore trail, Sergeant Preston and Jack, the constable, rode along keeping their eyes on the barge. They saw Mamie when she first came to the rail and left. Then, when the men appeared, Preston spoke. Look, Jack, three men are at the rail now. Yeah, seem to be looking this way. Something's happened. That shot was on the barge. Yes, it was. Woman's yelling for help. Yes. Try to head to that point. The barge will pass close and we can get there before they see what we're up to. What can you do when we get there? King and I are going to swim out to that barge. Get up there! Get up there! Get up. Reaching the point, Preston and the constable drew raid. Hold there, hold on. You want to swim out with you? All right. We'll leave the horses here. Let's go. Better get our boots off. Tug just coming around the bend. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Be sure to keep your gun, Doy. Let's go. Let's go, King. On board the barge, the two crooks had forced Mamie into the cabin. Then they carried the skipper in and put him on the bunk. If you want to fix him up, Mamie, go ahead. You'll be sorry for this. Now on, you're staying in this cabin, Mamie, so as you can't signal the tugboat. As long as we're out in the river, we'll be safe for a while. Sergeant Preston, King, and the constable swam out into the river just in time to reach the side of the barge as it was passing. Preston grabbed a rope to trail over the side. We've got a hole in this rope. King, come here, fella. I'll get King aboard first. Let me help. All right, King. Here, fella. Pulling himself partway up the rope, Preston clung by one hand, and then reached down as Jack, clinging to the end of the rope, took hold of King and helped push him up. Between them, they managed to push King high enough so that the great dog got his front paws over the rail. Then King, with Preston pushing, went over onto the deck. Wait there, King. Wait. Let's go, Jack. Give me your hand, Sergeant. Easy, fella. Wait till we get our breath. That's King crawling. He's picked up the scent of the man we were following. All right, King. Find him, boy. Inside the cabin, Bill and Joe sat with drawn guns as Mamie sat on the edge of the bunk near her husband, the skipper. We're making good time. Yeah. But what about those two Monties we saw on the trail? We'll lose them somehow. Anyway, they might not be after us at all. We heard that Preston and his dog were trailing us, remember? Yeah, that's right. Oh, well. Don't go with you Hey, it's a Mountie. Preston! I'll settle him. Oh, you don't? Oh, my shoulder! You won't take me, Mountie? While Preston's attention was momentarily taken with Bill, Joe had jumped to one side and raised his gun to shoot. 
For at that moment, King, sensing the danger, had sprung forward and with a leap grabbed Joe's gunner. Oh, no! Take him off! Get him away! Hunting bellboy. Hey, Joe, move fast that time. These men shot my husband because we objected to them aboard. Yeah, that's right, Sergeant. They paid me 200 in gold to carry them on this trip. I got suspicious. Indian Creek's just a few miles upriver. I'll take these men off there. Yes. We can send someone for our horses, and we'll take these bank robbers to headquarters. Bank robbers, you say? So that's why they were skipping town, huh? Yes. And if you knew they were evading the law, we can take you to headquarters, too, for aiding in their attempted hey, escape. Now, wait a minute, Sergeant. You've got to believe me. They, they told us they were just running out on someone who had a grudge against them. Did they, man? That's right. Huh? We didn't know until we saw you two mounted on a shore trail that they were skipping the law. I was suspicious of them, but we really didn't know. That's right. Well... All right, but you'll have to return the 200 in gold. That belongs to the bank. I, I don't see how you found us. King got your ascent from a bandana one of you dropped at the bank. And from then on, there was nothing that could stop him from finally catching up with you. You mean that dog trailed him everywhere and finally led you to this barge? That's right. Oh, King's sure a wonderful dog. <laughs> he acts almost human, Sergeant. Yes, he does, Jack. And if he could talk... I'm sure King would say he's glad this case is closed. In just a moment, Sergeant Preston will give you a preview of Monday's adventure. It's now or never. Yes, this is the last time we can tell you how to collect official Challenge of the Yukon dog picture cards. Remember, you get not one, but two of these terrific new dog picture trading cards inside each package of Quaker Puff Wheat or Quaker Puff Rice. That's two cards, each different in each package. These keen, stiff-back cards feature beautiful color Kodachrome photographs of real dogs. You get King himself. <laughs> And these dog picture cards, 35 of them, are yours at no extra cost. Don't wait until it's too late. Hurry to your grocer before his supply is gone. Ask for Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice. Get both delicious kinds. That way you'll get four different cards right off. So hurry, don't put it off another day. Listen Monday when Sergeant Preston and Yukon King meet the challenge of the Yukon in the case of the duel. When I was called to Hangman's Creek, I learned that two men had set out to fight a duel. It was to be a fake duel. I didn't know that death was waiting for one of the duelists in the form of a sniper's bullet. Death was lying in wait for me, too, and King was not at my side to warn me. Be sure to hear this exciting adventure Monday. These radio dramas, a feature of the challenge of the Yukon Incorporated, are created and produced by George W. Trendle, directed by Fred Flowerday, and supervised by Charles D. Livingston. The part of Sergeant Preston is played by Paul Sutton. They are brought to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the same time by Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice. The breakfast cereals shot from guns. This is J. Michael wishing you goodbye, good luck, and good health from Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice. So long. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for The Fred Allen Show next on Theater of the Mind.
Time now for the Fred Allen Show, where I'm sure we'll be treated to a walk down Allen's Alley. It isn't a friend of Gladys Sabisco's, kiddies. The makers of Blue Bonnet Margarine and Tenderleaf Tea present the Fred Allen Show with Fred's guests, Phil Baker, Portland Hopper, Minerva Pius as Mrs. Nussbaum, Alan Reed as Falstaff Openshaw, the Tenderleaf Workshop Players, the DeMarco Sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And if you're wondering who plays Senator Claghorn, my name is Kenny Delmar. This week, ladies and gentlemen, Bing Crosby's sponsor started suit to get Bing to go back on the air. Tonight, we bring you a man whose sponsor is thinking of starting suit to get him off the air, and here he is, Fred Allen. Thank you. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And, Kenny, I was reading about that Bing Crosby suit. You know, I don't uh, really think that Bing wants to work. I hear he's moving to Stamford. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're off to a nice dull start. <laughs> Anything that happens from now on will be a highlight. <laughs> well, what about your sponsor, Fred? Well, our sponsor thinks, I believe, he thinks we're a little behind the times with our show, Kenny. Well, how do you mean? Well, all of the other radio programs don't bother with entertainment anymore. They're just giving things away. Jack Benny's giving away $10,000. Bob Hope's giving away Jeeps. And Red Skelton is giving away automobiles. Yeah, well, don't you think you should give something away, Fred? I was just going to announce it, Kenny. Attention, ladies and gentlemen. Starting next week, to every person who wins an automobile on Red Skelton's program, I will give a road map. <laughs> I'll even open it if the party's too weak. I'll even open the road map. Well, that ought to cause plenty of talk. Yes. <laughs> and it's the kind of talk I don't want to be around to hear, Kenny. I have enough trouble the way things are. Well, Portland. Kenny and I were just talking about radio programs giving things away. Oh, radio is wonderful. Well, how do you mean? My uncle was on a program called Blind Date. Oh, uh, what happened? His number was called, and he had to take out a chorus girl. I see. Next day, they both went on a program called People Are Funny, and he proposed to her. He did, huh? Then they went on a program called... Honeymoon in New York, and got married over 150 stations. 150 stations, good. Then they went on Truth or Consequences and won enough furniture for their house. They lived happily ever after? No. They went on Battle of the Sexes and had a big fight. Well, is the marriage off? Well, we won't know until tomorrow. Well, what's tomorrow? They're on Mr. Anthony's program. <laughs> They have completed their happy kilo cycle, in other words. But you know, you were... You can almost... You can almost get anything in, in a radio today. But sometimes things go wrong. Well, how do you mean? Mama wrote a limerick for the National Barn Dance Contest. And something went wrong? Instead of the first prize of a hundred bottles of Alka-Seltzer... Yeah? They sent her two hillbillies. Two hillbillies. <laughs> well, how did your mother, with her broken lawn yet... No, 
<laughs> Mother, with that limp lawnette that hangs down so she can't look through it, how did she know the difference? Well, she put one of the hillbillies in water. And? He didn't fizz. Oh, well, that would give it away. <laughs> Probably made the water good and dirty, though. But speaking of fizzes reminds me, <laughs> we better start thinking of getting along to see those old familiar fizzes down in Allen's Alley. What is your question for tonight? Well, Portland, this week the New York movie critics made their annual awards for the outstanding films and performances of 1945. And so this evening our question is, if you are a movie fan, what pictures and performances impressed you most during the past year? Shall we go? As the druggist said when he had a headache, I think I'll take a powder. <laughs> Well, Portland, here we are back in Allen's Alley. Say, the senator's home tonight. His hound dog is curled up there under the porch. See it? Somebody, I say, somebody now. Yes, I know. Claghorn's the name, Senator Claghorn. I know, I know. You're from Dixie. When I eat crackers in bed, I only eat Georgia crackers. Now, wait a minute. what you're singing. Show some reverence, son. Kneel down and uncover. Now, wait. Stop eating your gum, son. Now, just let, let me... Let me get... talk for a change. Change, that is. You let me get a word yeah, in. Keep chattering, son. I don't even get a chance. Oh, son, you're going like a cow's tail in fly time. Now, wait. <laughs> While you're taking in a little wind, Senator, do you mind if I intersperse something in here? What was Washington's reaction to the choice of the most popular movie stars? We took our own poll in Congress. You did? Everybody was talking all at once. Even Senator Brooks was babbling. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Babbling Brooks, that's a joke. I know it. Galveston <laughs> Gafford. I don't care. There's a Savannah Sakharov. Look, I don't care. I crack wise and you look dumb. I'm looking at <laughs> Hold up, son, you're subnormal. Stop that in. Now, wait a minute. Be careful how low you go, even in water, Senator. Now, you watch that sub stuff. Now, look, about these Hollywood stars, are you a movie fan? I quit, I say, I quit going to movies, son. Well, why? Last picture I saw made my down yonder blood boil. Your down yonder blood was boiling, eh? Well, what happened? At the end of the picture, Ann Southern married Cary Grant. But why? Uh... I couldn't stand to see another Grant taking anything Southern. Go on, go on, go on, Senator. Go on, Senator. Well, goodbye, Senator. Go on, Senator. Well, <laughs> the Senator... The Senator must have just finished dinner. I, I smelled a little hog jowl on his breath. <laughs> oh, well, I, um... I wonder, let's get along down the alley. I wonder what Titus Moody has on his mind tonight. Howdy, Bob. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mr. Moody, you uh, you look a little weary tonight. Yeah, I've had tough sledding all week. Oh, why, uh, why should you have tough sledding? No snow. Oh, well. <laughs> Mr. Moody, how do you feel about these movie awards? Boris Karloff should have won. You think that he's the best actor? No, Teen is acting. Well, what makes you such an ardent Karloff fan? Well, I'll tell you. 
I got a big wart on my Adam's apple. Oh, a wart, eh? Yeah, it's right here under my collar button. I see it there. When I put on my collar, the collar button presses against the wart. Yeah? The wart presses against my Adam's apple. Uh-huh. I'm in agonizing pain. Oh, with what, uh... The only pleasure, the only pleasure I've had for ten years, I owe Boris Karloff. Well, how do you mean? Well, when I go into theater, my collar button is pressing against the wart. Yeah? The wart's pressing against my Adam's apple. Uh-huh. I'm in agonizing pain. <laughs> Then Boris Karloff comes on the screen. Yes. My flesh starts to creep. Yes. The wart creeps up over my collar. Yes. I can't explain the feeling. It's utopia. And... <laughs> when the picture is over, then the wart creeps back down. The collar button starts pressing. I'm in agonizing pain again. <laughs> Well, as far as you and your water are concerned, outside of Boris Karloff... All them other Hollywood actors is just a pain in the neck. So long, bud. So long. <laughs> well, when Boris Karloff is in town, Mr. Moody's wart is going places. Now, let's see what happens next door here. No. Oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. You were expecting maybe Olivia de Hellevoir? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Mrs. Nussbaum, are you a movie fan? Not me, my husband, Pierre. Oh, Pierre, Pierre likes pictures, huh? Every day you're seeing movies, always in Technicolor. Oh, Technicolor, huh? To Pierre, every picture is looking Technicolor. Well, how come? His eyes are bloodshot. <laughs> but don't you see so many movies bother Pierre? Always he is coming home with different personalities. Well, how do you mean? Pierre is seeing a picture with uh, Ronald Coleman. Yes. He is making with an English accent. Oh, eh? Really? He is opening the door and saying, What's much to old crumpet? What's much to old crumpet, eh? Also, Zagazunt and Chirel. And he's certainly cultured, what? He is seeing in a picture, Bingle and Crosby. Yes. Around the house, Pierre is singing, I see. <laughs> when Pierre is seeing Bob Hope, yes. he is making with rice crackles. Well, say, with such a versatile husband, you must be very happy. I am getting a divorce. Well, why? Last week, Pierre is seeing in a picture Tarzan. So? He is refusing to live home. You mean you can't get him into the house? I can't get him down from the tree. <laughs> At the last shack in Allen's Alley. I wonder what a knock will bring here. Sound the trumpets, round me rally. Falstaff's back in Allen's Alley. Falstaff's open show. Welcome to Falstaff. Happy homecoming. Thank you, Lord. Where have you been? I have been enjoying a sabbatical on the Bowery. Oh, you... (laughs) (laughs) You've been coining new dactyls? Oh, indubitably. Really? Have you heard, said the bumblebee to the little flea... Don't touch that stuff, it's DDT. (laughs) No. Or, uh, as the waiter said when he brought the horseradish, I hope that covers your beef. (laughs) No. How about this? My mother is lonesome when she goes to a fire. LaGuardia isn't there, and neither is O'Dwyer. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait. 
that is, you've overdone it finally, Falstaff. Tonight, we are simply discussing the Critics' Awards for the best films of 1945. Precisely why I greyhounded it. <laughs> I have contrived an epic. A poem about the movie awards? What is it called? The Forgotten Award. And how does it go? Each year, the critics give awards to pictures and to actors. The direction and performances they term deciding factors. Paramount is cited an award to movie tone, a plaque to Ingrid Bergman. Even Lassie gets a bone. <laughs> I hail the movie industry, but I also must remind it that an award should be awarded to the man who is behind it. This guy makes Hollywood possible. He's not director, star, or picket. He's just the average man who digs down and buys a ticket. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul and from the rancid rhymes of Bard Openshaw, we turn to the refreshing refrains of the five DeMarco sisters. Accompanied by, <laughs> accompanied by Maestro Al Goodman and his United Nations Ensemble, <laughs> the DeMarco sings The Moment I Met You. Rainbows, another in the Maestro Al Goodman series of Remnant Rhapsodies. Say, Portland. Yes? Has that uh, lawyer called me yet? Lawyer? Are you in trouble? Am I in trouble? All week I've been in more hot water than a slice of lemon in a Russian tea room. <laughs> I am out on bail right now. Gosh, what happened? Well, you've read that line in some other program we've had. I, that's very reminiscent. <laughs> Well, Portland, you want to know what happened? The whole thing started last Sunday night after the broadcast. You know, I generally go over to the Hamburger Hovel on 8th Avenue. For a nickel over there, they serve a hamburger as big as a catcher's mitt. Even a buckle in the back of the hamburger. They put the, they put the piccalilli on with a trowel. Well, I took a cab at Radio City, and we were driving along the street. We had gone a few blocks when the driver said... Uh, you said the Hamburger Hubble, didn't you, bud? Yes, driver. Okay. Hey, Miss Busy, as a termite in the woodwork, I'm as jumpy as a yo-yo on a string. Boy, can that Sinatra write music. Hey, driver, driver, just a minute, driver. Stop the cab. Okay, okay. Something wrong, something wrong, chump? I just felt in my pocket. 
My wallet's gone. I must have left it at the studio. You mean you ain't got no dough? Well, I I haven't any money with me. This is a buck even. Get it up, Chisler. Now, well, look, if you'll just take me back to Radio City... So you can beat it out the other door, huh? I had that pull on me before, chum. Where's that crank handle? Now, look, driver. <laughs> Come on, out of the cab. I'm going to crown you with this crank handle. Now, wait a take minute. this. You rats, you duck. <laughs> now, don't lose your head, driver. You broke my window. I broke your window. You broke the window. Well, if you'd have stood still, I'd have hit you. <laughs> Now, look. A dollar on the meter, seven for the window. That's eight bucks you owe me. Now, I'll pay you the money. Don't get excited. Your blood pressure will go up, driver. I'm, uh, I'm Fred Allen. Sure, and I'm Jack Benny. Look, no hair. Yeah. <laughs> Rich Stalin, wise guy. Give me eight bucks. Say, look, driver. Look, across the street there. Uh, it's a radio studio. So what? Well, that sign. It says, tonight, Phil Baker in Take It or Leave It. So what? Say, I've got an idea. Now, Phil Baker's program goes on the air in about five minutes. I'll go on, take it or leave it. I'll change my name. Phil Baker won't even know who I am. I'll answer four of those easy questions. I'll quit with the $8. You'll have your money. Now, is it a deal? Okay. But you better win, brother. I got insurance. Insurance? This crank handles me insurance. Let's go. All right. Well, Portland, the cab driver and I got into the radio studio just in time. Luck was with me. My number was called. I was chosen as a contestant. I was sitting on the stage. The cab driver was glaring at me from the front row when I heard the announcer say... Presenting Take It or Leave It, starring Phil Baker. Yes, Take It or Leave It, the most exciting game you ever played. The game that doubles in interest with every question asked. The game with the giant jackpot. And now we give you the man with the $64 question, our paymaster of ceremonies, and here he is, Phil Baker. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the halls of Montezuma. <laughs> Boy, there are plenty of people here tonight. I haven't seen such a crowd since the window shade in Betty Grable's dressing room fell down. <laughs> but I really feel swell. You know, last Sunday night, Secretary Burns was pinch-hitting for me, answering some Russian $64 questions. So I went to Florida for a rest. Florida. Folks, there is a state. That's where the sun goes to get away from that California weather. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time to go to Florida, though. You go down there, your face is white. You get a great tan. You check out of the hotel, get your bill, and <laughs> you turn white again. <laughs> Those prices in Miami. I had a room overlooking a grapefruit for $18 a day. And speaking of grapefruit, here's our first contestant. What is your name, miss? Shirley S. Gum. Shirley S. Gum? What does the S stand for? Spearman. Mm. <laughs> Where's your home, Shirley? Elephant, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. <laughs> what is your occupation, Shirley? I work in Bloomingdale's. I'm a laugher. A laugher at Bloomingdale's? Yeah, when women come in and ask for nylons, I laugh you at You laugh at them. <laughs> I've heard of let a smile be your umbrella, but let a laugh be your nylons is a new one on me. Now, Miss Gum, what category have you selected from the board? Uh, popular music. Good, popular music. For one dollar, what is the name of this popular song? All right, what is the name of that popular song? Popular? I never heard of it. It's very popular. It ain't in Brooklyn. It ain't in Brooklyn. <laughs> 
Now think, what, what, was, what was that song? Hmm? Chick, chick, chick. Three chicks and a chuck? No. Chickory chick! Yeah, I think I got it, Mr. Baker, is it? Chickory chick? Did you hear somebody yell that in the audience? Did somebody yell something? <laughs> you know, I'm as deep as a haddock. Yeah. I was born with two cauliflower ears. My mother was in the golden glove. <laughs> well, all right, I'm going to give you the dollar. Would you like to try it with two? Nah, give me the buck. You're quitting? Yeah, my boyfriend's a counterfeiter. He just wants a sample. I see. Come on. Come on. Well, that brings us to our next contestant. And your name, sir? Prentice Pontoon. <laughs> Prentice Pontoon. Did yes. you receive a present before you came up to the microphone? Uh, yes, sir. An ever sharp fountain pen. Right. And it's guaranteed not for years, not for life, but guaranteed forever. Yes, sir. You look a little nervous. Would you like a cup of tea? I, I thought you served coffee, Mr. Baker. <laughs> not on this program. You'll take tea or a drink of hot blue bonnet margarine. <laughs> No, no, thanks. You say your name is... Uh, um, Prentice Pontoon. Did anyone ever tell you that you looked like Fred Allen? Yes, I've been beaten up twice by radio listeners. <laughs> You've even got bags under your eyes like Allen. Yes, I know. What is your occupation, Mr. Pontoon? I am an oculist in a fish market. Hmm? <laughs> an oculist in a fish market? When they lay a lot of dead fish in a fish market window... Yes? I check on their eyes to make sure the fish are all looking in the same direction. Oh. <laughs> I see. If one fish is looking the other way, it throws the whole window off. Yes. <laughs> You're just working for the halibut. Yes. Now, uh... <laughs> you know, I get people on this program with the darndest occupation. Really? One guy works in a restaurant on Second Avenue. He's a lentil feeler. A lentil feeler? Yes. If you order lentil soup, he puts his hand in and feels your lentils. <laughs> yeah. He takes out the hard lentils so they won't hurt your gums. He does messy work, <laughs> I yes, should say. <laughs> That's a joke, sir. I just want to... Another guy is a booster at the automat. When bo midgets come into the automat, he boosts them up so that they can see what dishes are in the top compartment. Well, that's nice work. I Another guy is a perfume advisor in a five and ten cent store. A perfume advisor? Yes. When you take the top off a bottle, he tells you if what you smell is the perfume or another customer. All right. <laughs> you have some uh, odd characters on your program, Mr. Baker. Tonight, especially. <laughs> What would you like to talk about, Mr. Pontoon? Well, I think... How about uh, movie stars, world history, music? Uh, uh, world All history. All right, Mr. Pontoon, for one dollar. Take it easy now. Yes. Who is the president of the United States? No coaching, please. <laughs> the president. He uh, was on the radio last Thursday instead of Abbott and Costello. That's, one, yeah. <laughs> That's right. He said to Congress, you're bad boys. <laughs> What's the president's name? Uh, think now. Herman Truman. Well, that's close enough. Okay, you have a dollar. <laughs> Quiet, please. No help from the audience. Do you want to try for two bucks with the pontoon? He's better! Well, what do you say? Well, you heard him. I'll try for two dollars. Good. When you see pictures of Napoleon with his hand inside of his coat, what modern cartoon character does he remind you of? Itchy. Itchy is correct. Right. You're a very intelligent young man. He better be intelligent. Quiet. Who is this character in the audience? A friend of yours? The next two questions will decide. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Who was he waving that crank handle at? Well, he ordered a new car, but so far, the crank handle is all he's gotten from General Motors. <laughs> okay, Mr. Pontoon, for $4, what brand of tea was used at the Boston Tea Party? Tenderleaf tea. Tenderleaf tea is absolutely correct. Now, for eight bucks, Mr. Pontoon, why did Sitting Bull sit down? Would you, uh, repeat the question, please, Mr. Bates? For eight dollars, why did Sitting Bull sit down? Uh, he was waiting for the cows to come home. No. You give up? Well, I... You'll be sorry! <laughs> His suspenders broke? No. You don't know, do you? Frankly, I don't, Mr. Well, Baker. Well, I'm sorry. Sitting Bull sat down because in those days there were so many things he couldn't stand for. See? Sorry, stand by for the giant jackpot. Yes, sir, Mr. Baker. Well, Portland, after I lost the giant jackpot, too, and the program was over, I sneaked out the side door. The cab driver and the crank handle were waiting for me. I didn't have the money, so I offered him the fountain pen Phil Baker had given me. The cab driver said... A fountain pen? First you chiseled me out of eight bucks, now you want me to learn how to write, eh? Police! Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, driver. This pen is worth $20. You'll be making $12. You can sell it to somebody. You sell it to somebody. All I want is eight bucks. Okay. The people are coming out of the broadcast now. I'll go around in front of the theater and sell it to someone. Me and the crank handle will be sitting in the cab waiting. Make it snappy. Gad, what a predicament. At my age, a sidewalk peddler. Well, the audience is coming out. I'll try this guy here. Hey, hey, buddy. Yes? I got a $20 fountain pen. It's yours for eight bucks. Look, under my coat. Look under my coat. A badge. You're a detective. Yeah, I've been looking for you, Black Market Moe. But officer... First it was fake almond bars with stones in them. Now it's hot fountain pens. But I'm not Black Market Moe. I'm Fred Allen. I just got this fountain pen and take it or leave it. Honest, look. Here's Phil Baker coming out of the theater. Phil can identify me. Phil. Hey, Phil. Hello, Mr. Baker. Hello, officer. What's the trouble? Tell him who I am, Phil. You know me. I'm Fred Allen. You know this character, Mr. Baker? Yes, I know him. Tell him who I am, Phil. Well, Prentice Pontoon. Phil. I'm Fred Allen on the radio. You're an oculist in a fish market. Uh, thanks, Mr. Baker. Come on, you. But, but, Phil, don't let him take me to court. I'll have to do time. You bet you will. But I... But for selling an Evershaw pen on the street, <laughs> you'll go to jail not for years, not for life, but forever. Okay, black market mall, let's go. Now, Kenny, with a flattering word about the American woman. All over the world, the American woman is famous for her beauty. Her home is the ideal in other lands, too, and the way she runs it. She is practical about her home, her appearance, her dress, all her shopping. And it's being so practical it makes her choose Tenderleaf tea balls over all others. Yes, Tenderleaf tea balls are better in every way. That's why they're the largest selling tea balls in America. They provide finer tea, rich in fragrance, richer in flavor, made with famous for flavor Tenderleaf brand tea. Their greater convenience is a big help, too. Individual packets of tasteless filter paper, crisp white and appealing, ready any time to drop into your cup for a cup of quick comfort when you need it most. That's all there is to it. Just add boiling water and your quick comfort is ready. Heartwarming, delicious, crystal clear Tenderleaf tea. So for every good reason, ask your grocer for Tenderleaf brand tea ball. Thank you, Kenny. Thanks, Phil Baker. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, our guest will be the eminent Shakespearean actor and star of Hamlet, Maurice Evans. Thanks a lot for joining us and good night. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dimension X, followed by the Bickersons. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. 
Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.